Welcome to episode 60. I'm Luke Winstall. This is The Luke Winstall Show. Today I'm joined by Dr. Nick Elam, the founder and creator of the Elam Ending, a concept that has been revolutionizing basketball and making the endings of games much more entertaining and fun to watch on a regular basis. Now, when you hear Elam Ending, you may wonder what it is, how it came about, how it's revolutionizing the game of basketball, and how it's supposed to make the game better. Those are the questions I had when I was scrolling through Twitter and started reading about this concept. Thankfully, Dr. Elam is here to answer our questions. We'll go ahead and dive into the interview. Dr. Elam, thank you for joining me on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. I'm excited to talk with you about the Elam ending. I'm very curious about how it all came about. So we'll start with your story. When did you first get into basketball? When did you start playing or becoming interested in the sport? Sure. So I've been a sports fan for as long as I can remember from the age, from age five, I believe. And, uh, you know, when other kids were watching cartoons, I was watching Sports Center. Uh, so, I mean, Baseball is probably my first love, and baseball is still a sport that's really near and dear to my heart. But uh, at a very young age, I remember uh, because my mom was a graduate of Indiana University, I grew up on rooting for Bob Knight and the Hoosiers, for, again, for as, for as long as I can remember. And that was my favorite team that I would live and die with until I enrolled at the University of Dayton in 2000. And ever since then, uh, in 2000, or ever, yeah, ever since then, I've, I've been a diehard Dayton Flyers fan. And so that's my, uh, you know, I grew up in Southwest Ohio. That's college hoops country. And so it was, it was later on when I uh, started becoming interested in uh, NBA basketball. But I think uh, even though I love all, all the different leagues at the highest level, I think, uh, I think I still probably a college basketball fan first. Well, my next question for you, how did you get into sports writing? Was that something that you studied in college and kind of developed as a career or what was that for you? Uh, sports writing, did you say? Yes, sports writing. Um, well, it's never been. I mean, and none of this is really my my full time job or even my part time job. This is all kind of like a a side project or an independent project. My my primary field of study and and my career is in the field of education. Uh, but again, I've always been interested in just kind of in the behind the scenes elements of sports, and so um, I'm not sure I've, I've ever really considered myself or been regarded as a sports writer i mean there's been a few t- a few blogs that i've contributed to um but this was uh, this was an idea going back to uh, 2007 when I, I thought that i had a viable idea for how to address uh issues in late game play and basketball and so uh since then whether it's through writing or any other kind of medium or just trying to reach out to people proposing this concept um I stuck with it, and I'm glad that I did because now the idea is is getting off the ground. You had that idea for the Elam ending, you said, in 2007. So how did you first start to develop it? Kind of when did it hit you when you thought you had something that could work? So I'll back up even a few more years to 2004 when I was a senior at the University of Dayton and sitting around with my housemates watching basketball, like so many games we had seen before, high-level play, really intense competitive game. Uh, the, when it comes down to the final stretch, that it's the least exciting part of the game, and the game's become so warped in many ways. And we sat around, we were talking that day, like, you know, it's so weird the way that the game changes so much to, frankly, an inferior brand of basketball, and 
we talked, we tried to brainstorm ways of addressing that, but we didn't have any viable or original ideas at the time. But uh, in 2007, a few years later, that's when the light bulb came on and really realized, well, okay, all these different phenomena that we see late in games, whether it's stalling by the leading team or uh, deliberate fouling by the trailing team when they're on defense or rushed and sloppy possessions by the trailing team when they're on offense or just uh, kind of a dearth of late comebacks and many big games and good games throughout basketball history that just kind of fade out with a whimper. All these different phenomena are attributable to the game clock. And so that's when I thought, that's when I first thought, well, maybe if you just got rid of the clock at the end of the game, that maybe would address these issues. Now, even then, I thought, okay, well, there must be some fatal flaw to this. There must be something that I'm overlooking. Or at first, it, it seemed like a gimmick to me. So I wanted to explore the idea, but really I only explored it because I was trying to figure out what was wrong with it. Um, but the more that I researched it, the more that I really believed that it was necessary and that it was sound and that it had the potential to be very cool. And, um, you know, again, I, 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 I consider myself the toughest critic of the Elam ending because I really try to scrutinize it in and out. But uh, I, I believe in it very strongly, and, and now I think – uh, many others in the basketball world are starting to see the merit in that concept. We've been talking about this idea, the Elam ending, where it came from now, what is it? How have you refined it? What is it now? If you could ideally implement it, how would it change the rules and what would it look like? Sure. So the Elam ending in a nutshell is that you would play most of a basketball game with a game clock and you'd play the last part of the game without a game clock. And the idea is not to change basketball. It's to do the opposite, to preserve a more natural style of play through the end of every game. Now, the settings would vary based on the league or the event, kind of on what their style of play is, what their scoring rate is, <clears throat> where this um, format has been implemented most broadly is at TBT, the basketball tournament. And the format that we use there is shutting off the clock at the four minute mark of the fourth quarter and then setting a target score equal to the leading team score plus eight. So, uh, for example, let's say the score is 65 to 60. When you get to that four minute mark of the fourth quarter, okay, we're going to shut off the clock and we're going to play first team to 73 wins the game. Uh, so it's still 65 to 60, first team to 73 wins. And the idea is that if you've got the lead, you cannot play passively and stall. You have to keep playing assertively to reach the target score. If you're behind, there's no reason to foul and hand away free points at the free throw line. Uh, you can continue to play good defense and get stops. When you're on offense, you don't have to rush. You can get your best look. That whole combination of factors makes the outcome of the game less predictable. It makes late comebacks more likely. And every game ends with the swish of a net, so you get more memorable game-ending moments. So so those are the settings we use for TBT. But again, for different leagues, different events, uh, those settings would be modified just a little bit. And it's all written in pencil. This whole concept is meant to evolve. Um, and so whatever the original version is doesn't necessarily mean that has to be the final version of the Elam ending. When you're in the process of creating and trying to refine that Elam ending, I read that you got advice from some very interesting, some very top-notch people, guys like Jim Nance, Dan Bonner, NCAA Conference Commissioners, among others. So how did they help you most in refining the ending and trying to make it into the version that is being used in TBT and things like that today? Yeah, so there's um, – it was more um... – uh, I don't know. It wasn't much. It wasn't much to do with like the X's and O's of it, or kind of the nuts and bolts of the idea. But I reached out to them among dozens of people in the basketball world back in 2007, just trying to generate 
discussion about the concept, and I um, sent them my rationale and my findings, what, what was actually hundreds of pages worth of, you know, of a document. And you know, so first of all, I credit them and anyone else who actually read the thing. But uh, there, I mean, their uh, response was mainly just to applaud the effort that I put into it and just to kind of remind me of what I was up against is that uh, those kinds of changes don't happen very quickly in the world of sports. And um, <clears throat> so just they weren't trying to talk me out of pursuing it, uh, but they were just trying to make sure that, that I was being realistic about it, that, you know, it wasn't going to be easy to change minds like that. So, um, and, you know, that's certainly the kind of response that I would get throughout over the years. Um, but what, what I noticed is that that would be like the biggest criticism, I guess. I won't even call it a criticism or that would be the biggest pushback is just people saying, hey, you know, uh, a lot of times people aren't open to this kind of a change. But no one was able and, and people even who were immersed in the basketball world were not able to point out like what was a fatal flaw to this idea. Why would it not work? No one was able to point that out. And to me, so it was actually encouraging in a way because if someone really was trying to get me to stop doing this, if they were trying to talk me out of it, they would have said, well, okay, well, here's, here's why it won't work. And no one, no one could ever do that. And so uh, in a way I thought it was uplifting and encouraging uh, that, that there was never this ultimate dead end to the idea. And that's why I stuck with it. I think it's a huge credit to you for sticking with it now over a decade working on this idea and you've seen it kind of come to fruition in a few places. The NBA used the version of your idea in the 2020 All-Star Game, I think partially to honor Kobe Bryant, but also partially to try out something that I think really improved the quality of that game. So talk about what that was like. I know you got to go up to Chicago and experience the weekend as well. Yeah, so that was pretty amazing. So it was on January 23rd when members of the NBA League office called me uh, to tell me a few things. One, to thank me for my passion for the game and my innovative ideas because, again, I had been reaching out to them for many years. Um, and then they told me that there was going to be an announcement coming about the, the All-Star game, uh, that they were going to use a, an untimed fourth quarter for the All-Star game. And at that time, it was going to be 35-point setting uh, but then they also they also told me that uh, the players' association sees a lot of merit in this concept of an untimed finish to games, and that they wanted to send me as a guest of the NBA to All Star Weekend in Chicago. So they told me all those things, and it was a few days later when uh, unexpectedly and tragically that Kobe Bryant died, um, and then so instead of using that 35 point setting, they used a 24 point setting for the fourth quarter. But as far as the experience of going to the going to All Star Weekend. Um, it was just, um, it was just amazing because, uh, again, I, I've been speaking on behalf of this concept for many years, but I feel like the concept speaks for itself much better. And so there I was in United Center knowing that, you know, for many people in the building, that was their first time seeing this format and, you know, to, to see it delivering in all the ways that I wanted it to look to deliver and people reacting to it and just the, the, the players being so energized, the arena being so energized, um, and generating so much positive discussion afterward was really great all around. Well, I'm wondering, you've got a lot of people around the league, whether it be players or coaches, or I know GMs like Daryl Morey have talked about this and this concept. First off, how does that feel to you? Well, it's very reaffirming. And uh, again, when whenever I 
uh, see the Elam ending being played out on the court or whenever I hear someone who's very influential talking about it and championing the idea, uh, it's cool for, for two reasons or in two ways. One is that I can kind of reflect on all the progress that this project has made uh, over the years. That's cool in that way to be reflective like that, but it's also cool to look ahead and think, well, you know, the, the more and more that people see and are open to this idea, the more and more that people speak uh, in favor of it, then it opens up all sorts of exciting future possibilities. So it's also exciting to look ahead uh, at what, what the future of the Elam ending could be. And, and I really think the sky's the limit. I, I hold out that, that uh, the dream that the Elam ending will eventually be implemented worldwide and at the highest levels of play at the NBA, the WNBA, NCAA Division One, and the Olympics. I think that is a possibility. Most definitely. I think the future is really bright. It's something that I definitely would like to see, which is why I wanted to talk to you and kind of learn about this more. I don't know if anyone can really predict the future, but how long do you think it would be before this could be implemented in leagues like the NBA or Division One or things like that? It's hard to say. I, uh, you know, if I got a vote, I would vote for it to be implemented right now. But right. but unfortunately, but unfortunately, I don't get a vote, and I don't always, uh, you know, get a seat at the table during those discussions. I would certainly welcome that. I would love that to have a seat at the table of those discussions, or to be some sort of uh, to be able to consult in those decisions somehow. Um, that that hasn't happened to this point. I, I would love it if it did. But uh, it's, it's not for me to say when or if it'll be implemented. But, um, you know, again, I, I can only continue to, to be a proponent for the concept and hopefully, and hopefully it will be implemented at some point. I think it's a great idea. I have some friends that I'll work basketball games with, cameramen and just friends and people like that, that will come and say, you know, basketball is not my favorite sport because at the end, they just foul in the last two minutes, take an hour to play out, and I think your concept really alleviates that. Outside of that, are there any other changes that you think would be interesting or intriguing to try to make in the basketball world? Um, one idea that I think is interesting for basketball is uh, I know there's kind of a lot of discussion about the playoff format, and I know the league wants to reward uh, regular season performance. They want to set up the most favorable matchup for the top teams. And the discussion is, well, what is the most favorable matchup for a top team? Is is it truly just playing the, the worst uh, playoff qualifier, no matter where they're located? Or would they rather play a team that's you know, a weak team, but within a reasonable travel distance, I think you could make arguments either way, but I don't, I don't think it should be up to the league to decide that uh, by automatically, you know, granting a seed and, and, and uh, assigning those playoff matchups. I think you should leave it up to the team to decide if you're the number one team uh, and you look at all the other teams that are made uh, that have qualified for the playoffs you should decide who you want to play in the first round. And then the, the second best team should be able to choose from the remaining teams and go on down the line. And then you can start right back up at the top and, and pick potential second round matchups and kind of fill up the bracket that way. Uh, this is actually an idea that the that major league baseball uh, recently announced right. that they're strongly considering. And I think it's, I think it would be great for baseball. I think it would even be better for basketball. Um, and I think it would, I think it would work on a practical level and resolve a lot of those 
practical issues that they're trying to address. But also, I think it would be really cool just to see like this made-for-TV, essentially playoff draft unfold as teams are picking their playoff opponent. Uh, I think it would be a lot of fun, too. Most definitely. I think that would make for great TV. And Dr. Elam, that's all the questions I had for you. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again to Dr. Elam for joining me on the show to discuss his concepts. I think we're going to see it become a lot more widely used in the next few years. Now, today is a special day on the Luke Winstall Show. It's our first ever double release. I'm also putting on a show today with former New England Patriots safety Deron Harmon, three-time Super Bowl champion. His nickname is The Closer. He's known for his clutch plays and clutch interceptions in the fourth quarter of games. He was recently traded to the Detroit Lions. So he discusses his career and success in New England, along with being one of the most dominant safeties in the NFL, now headed to play in Matt Patricia's system in Detroit. You can check out that interview on episode 59 of the show. This concludes episode number 60. I'm Luke Winstall. This is The Luke Winstall Show.